0: Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice
1: committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability,
0: democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements.
1: It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to Green Left Radio, your weekly Friday morning program. Uh, we have Jacob on yep. board. Good morning, morning Jacob, everyone, and um, Lalita here, Lalita I hope all of you are well. Probably sleeping, having a nice long weekend. While we are at the studio, um, there's some hot debates going around about a lot of things. There's um, something on. Um, a song about love, Are you looking it up to see what band? Yeah, I'm trying playing. to
2: find it. Oh, okay. yes, it's um Macklemore.
1: I know what's wrong with these people. <laughs> yeah.
2: so um, this is kind of like a, a headline from well, actually, first before we um, before we start, I would like to acknowledge yes, should, that um, yes, FreeCR. Um, today is being broadcast to you, you know, from the Wondry land of the Kulin Nation. And we like to pay our respects to Elders past and present. And, you know, it always was, um, always will be Aboriginal land. And that sovereignty um, has never been ceded. ceded.
1: yes. Apologies for that. my fault. I should have started off with
2: that. Yeah. And, but basically... Um, this is actually not in relation to the afl grand final um, it's actually in relation to another grand final which is the nrl, NRL. which I, think, I
1: find them all very confusing which i think <laughs> takes place
2: um, actually yeah the the nrl grand final takes place on sunday um, whereas the grand final the afl grand final will be on saturday um, and i think that's why new south wales has a different public holiday from 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 melbourne because um, the their public holiday is going to be on the Monday following that grand final, <laughs> um, because and I always doesn't matter. Good. The more well,
1: important thing is a song, the kerfuffle yeah. over the song. And Tony Abbott's creating such—he's like the two-year-old throwing a massive tantrum. Unfortunately, his is a dangerous one um, about. This band playing a song about love. Well
2: it's not a band per se; it's an artist. It's um, an artist, okay. So yeah, the hip hop artist is is um, a US rapper um, who has been in, you know invited to fly down to perform at the grand final of the NRL, and he is you know getting a lot of criticism um, from no campaigners, including. Tony Abbott, um, <laughs> which has basically petitioned him to ban him from performing his smash hit "Same Love," um, which and this song is um, you know basically in support of LGBTQI rights, um, and he he uh, and so yeah, basically the argument that the right wing are making is this whole question of oh yes. You know the NRL grand final is supposed to be an apolitical event. You shouldn't politicise um, it, and it's like, and but of course the irony is this is an artist that not really owning, but it's sort of like the funny kind of detail in this is that Macklemore is an artist from the United States, um, and that it, it's in the context he's performing. Um, he his song was written in the context of living in a country that has actually legalized marriage equality, so... Yeah,
1: it doesn't matter where you live. The fact is, you know, there's a campaign on around the world, not just Australia, um, and it's something that people want to express. People Artists express their views, whatever it may be, you can agree or disagree, but it has hit the charts. It topped the charts, actually, at one time. Mm-hmm. So all this fuss, I, I just find it really bizarre. Mm. People. There, get, you know, there's this funny
2: quote I kind of want to just talk... Um, from the, this is from the SBS, um, and this is from a former NRL player, Tony War, who's lobbying the government um, to ban, um, to you know, to basically not have this song be performed at the grand final. And he kind of says here, yeah, it'll be very difficult for me to watch the NRL grand final with my wife and five young children as the event will be heavily politicised with LGBTIQ and from taking centre stage. My family and many other loyal NRL fans who are no voters will not feel comfortable watching the grand final when the NRL is imposing such a bold political stance on its fans while the issue is currently being voted on by the Australian people. This is just... It's sort of like... Then don't watch it. Yeah, well... Make a choice. But it's... um, I think it's just a song, actually, that's the point, really. Um, And he's
1: politicising it. The the kids probably won't understand half of what the, what the song is about, but the 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 key thing is if they don't, he should explain, you know, whatever he wants to explain, and express his point of view. The kids can make up their own point of view. Mm. Surely they're individuals. Yeah. There must be, you know, all the children there too. Mm. But anyway,
2: but I think um nonsense. just a greater political point I kind of want to make um the No campaign has kind of been obsessed about this whole idea of freedom of speech and civil liberties. I mean, one of the arguments that the No campaign is putting forward is, you know, that if if marriage equality gets through, then it's an attack on religious freedoms, which is not going to happen either way. Um, But it's kind of showing, you know, you know, Basically, I, I think, think the most affo- I think the most authoritarian side on this whole side of debate has actually been the no campaign. <laughs> they're the ones that are calling to get a song ban right. from the NRL. Um, Pro- I mean,
1: provocative, conservative, narrow-minded. I mean, there are a lot of um, adjectives um, and of course they're sure.
2: they they've also been complaining about this. Horrible text message that was basically generated from random text others, you know, urging people to vote yes. Um, despite the fact that I'm pretty sure Coro Bernardi has recorded some robocall that is going to go up to over millions of numbers urging people to vote no. So it's like, yeah, the hit well, hypocrisy. He's not
1: exactly a guru, is he? Anyway, it's it's just such a lot of bunkum. You know, it, mm. it what what makes me angry is, you know, they they are priests around the world who have been charged with paraphilia. There are women who have been forced into prostitution by men for centuries. There was no such kerfuffle about it. No such kerfuffle. But there's such a kerfuffle about this. People's freedom to choose their partners is, is being questioned, despite the fact that they're actually adults, whereas they never actually started a campaign like this against paraphilia. Mm. In fact, they're defending these people. It's, why hasn't Abbott come out and said something about?
2: Pedophilia? Oh, I know. Ab, well, Abbott's. Come on, yeah, you know. If you, if you look at Abbott's history, it's not. It's, a surprise.
1: It is so. <sighs> it's so blatant that people like this keep their mouth mm. shut when it comes to that sort of, um, like, pedophilia, for example. Mm. And yet, you know, this, this whole drama is like, like a real drama he's performing around this issue. Um, he doesn't believe in freedom mm. of choice. Never mind freedom of speech. Mm. You know, human rights is a human rights issue, as far as I'm concerned.
2: Yeah, I think I'm um, now. Anyway. This is important since we're talking on the topic of marriage equality. For uh, listeners who are listening right now, um, if you haven't sent your postal surveys yes. in yet, I encourage you to send in um, your postal survey. Um, and I t- unfortunately I don't have the number on hand. But if you haven't received your postal survey, highly suggest recommend you go look up. Um, the ABS website, um, Australian Bureau of Statistics, and give them a call um, about sending in another form. So that's because um, there's a. I think there's been a number of people or cases where people haven't been able to. Um, they, didn't res- get yeah, they didn't get
1: their ballot papers. Yeah, didn't
2: get their ballot papers. I'm um, just sort
1: of looking it up to see if it's in the latest um, Green Life Weekly paper. If it's not here, I'll try and find it during the break and um, try and announce it later. Okay, let's move on to other news. Um, I think the one of the um, not urgent but you know um, prominent news that's going on is um, actually in um, Catalan, and uh, we've got some update. Unfortunately, I didn't get to interview Dick this week, but next week I think we should do another update because the referendum's on Sunday. Mm. So his update was um sent last night and I shall read
2: yeah. I've got the number here by the way for we can announce it later.
1: <laughs> oh good okay. Um so do you want to do that before I go into the Oh discussion?
2: yeah so so going back um, to the discussion um I would recommend that you call the ABS on 1800 572 113 to request a new form. And apparently you can also o- go online to to order the form. Um so yep. And um, also, one of the good things about this is any forms that have previously been sent to you will be made invalid. So, say, I think, um, in the case that some no campaigner went into your mailbox.
1: Now, let's not go to scenarios. Just go and get the get the vote. If it, ring the ABS, get your, your your ballot paper and vote. I'm sure they'll know what to do. Mm. Um, let's update the Spanish situation really quickly because we're going to get under the interview at 15 We've got a couple of interviews today. And um, let's see. Okay, the latest update from Dick Nichols, who is our Green Left Weekly um, correspondent from Europe, who lives in Barcelona. So last night, um, the update was the Spanish National Police and the Civil Guard boycott meeting of the Spain-Catalonia Security Commission called by Catalan Premier um, Carles, Carles, I'm, I'm sure I'm stuffing that one up, the pronunciation. Up, pardon me for that. Uh, Puigdemont, P- P- um, He's called a meeting of that. And Spanish Attorney General Rafael Catale warns Premier Puigdemont of the very serious consequences of a unilateral declaration of independence, which is not yet on the cards, actually only having a referendum. So this is a bit of a, a rushed statement by the Attorney General of Spain. And the Barcelona mayoress Ada Calao, sends a letter to the 27 mayors of the capitals of the European Union's 27 member states asking that they pressure the European Commission to intervene in favor of a negotiated solution to the Catalan crisis. So the battle is on and they have actually stolen ballot papers and they've um, hidden them, but people will still be going on to voting because they're printing more um, about papers. So that'll be interesting. So next week we'll get an update post-referendum. And um, I think that's going to be quite an explosive um, affair in that corner of Spain. Um, and I think uh, a few countries have actually supported this referendum. And I think it was Pierre Trudeau who said that people should be able to be free to to exercise self-determination, um, you know, as they feel. I am um, I'm, I'm not quoting uh, him, by the way. It's, I'm just paraphrasing from memory. Um, so it, it's quite a bit of attention being paid in the European sector. But in uh, Australia, I think the first time it was reported was a couple of days ago on the uh, ABC, and then they've gone all quiet. And they've started to put in a little bit of news about it um, now on the ABC. So I'm going to go and get the next interview ready. While well, mm. you want to – shall I play a song, or do you want to um, read some news from Green Left?
2: Um, just play it. I'll play a song for now.
1: Okay, so I shall play a song for you. Mm. It's um, by Dr. G. Yunapingu, and here we go.
2: Hey listeners, Um, we just had a bit of um, a delay with um, our interview, Um, but um, I'll go. I'll be reading up some news from um, the latest um, Green Left Weekly. Um, There's an article here on in the international section of Green Left Weekly, um, written by Barry Shepherd, um, basically on the kind of growing tensions um, between. North um, Korea and the United States. Um, with the headline, this is Korea in the firing line, Trump's UN, UN threats um, reveal US war drive. And here Barry Shepard kind of talks um, Talks about um, how, you know, US President Donald Trump um, has, you know, made the unprecedented threat to totally destroy North Korea. Not in a tweet or a kind of off-the-cuff remark, but in a written speech before the United um, Nations General Assembly on September the 20th. Um, of course, you know... A bit of context, you know, there has never been, you know, another leader of a country um, who has ever stood before the UN and, you know, openly declared that they want to destroy another country. Um, This is, you know, coupled with a lot of Trump's earlier um, um, comments about, you know, about raining down fire and fury on North Korea. But, of course, this threat must be seen um, as one that at least includes possibility of a nuclear attack. Um and what some of the reasons you know that you know that Trump has cites is you know um that the u s would not you know tolerate a north a nuclear armed North Korea with the ability to uh, deliver a weapon to the United States um nuclear North Korea is already a nuclear armed states its recent um, missile tests demonstrate that it's well on the way to be able to hit the u s and has already has the capacity to hit the u s claimed territory of gum and the Pacific Ocean. Um, And, of course, um, North Korea has repeatedly said that it will continue its nuclear missile program unless the U.S. finally puts an end to the Korean War by signing a peace treaty with it. Um, In terms of this um, bipartisan war drive, no U.S. politician, from Bernie Sanders on the left to the most... Um, extreme right-wing Republican has indicated any move. Um, on the contrary, with bipartisan support, the U.S. just completed its annual war games in South Korea, whose aim is to threaten the North. These games include the South's army, but that army is under the command of the U.S. occupying forces. Um, South Korea's new president, um, Moon Jae-in, was in- elected on the promise of seeking dialogue with the North and restricting the deployment of the US um, aid missile system. But of course, through um, the intervention of Trump, um, Trump has bullied Moon into reversing his stance on both. Um, now, What's happening is that you know North Korea is deploying a special commando group, um, as Barry Shepard here writes here, with the avowed public goal of assassinating the North's leadership. Um, and to give a bit more detail on, or, you know, one one of the, what was the purpose of, you know, this Trumps. Um, UN threat um, was to pressure China to stop supplying oil to North um, for the purpose of devastating its economy um, in the hopes that this world force um, w- uh, would force it to abandon its nuclear program. Um, of course, Barry writes here, this is at, uh, that is unlikely to occur um, due to the fact that China does not want the North to collapse, um, which would be the consequence of an oil embargo um and of course this would that would likely lead to a us invasion resulting in a united korea as a militarized us state us client state on its borders um, even if China did cut off North Korea's oil, a desperate North facing collapse would likely strike back. When the president, then president um, Franklin Roosevelt, imposed an oil embargo on Japan as part of the intensifying rivalry between the two powers, Japan replied by striking at the U.S. naval base at Pearl Harbor, harbor in Hawaii, triggering the spread of World War II's the Pacific. It is obvious that the rising tensions between North Korea and the US pose a serious danger. Trump upped the ante with his um, UN speech. I guess one of the one of the a bit of a and give a bit of a short synopsis of the kind of history. Um, Barry Shepard Go gives a bit of a detail on you know North Korea on arguing that you know North Korea has quite solid you know, reasons for fearing a U.S. attack, given Washington's hostility towards it going back to the end of the World War II. Um, what had happened is after the end, after defeat of Japan, which had been the colonial power in Korea, the U.S. tried to occupy the peninsula as the spoils of war. However, it was only able to occupy the southern part of Korea, while the USSR occupied the northern section. Um, this kind of, you know, explains, you know, why two Koreas converged um, what became of South Korea was ruled by US military directly from 1945 to 1948 meanwhile the Soviet Union withdrew its armed forces from the north and um, but then as a result um, later the, the US um, uh, uh, military stage phony elections in the south extorting the first in the long line of dictators um, um, so um to conclude here, one of the kind of um, that's sort of a bit of a kind of history of you know the context you know for why North Korea is quite paranoid of um, of um, the threat of U.S. invasion. Um, but of course, one of the one of the one of the things that Barry Shepard here points out in his kind of concluding comments in the article is besides the enormous inequality between North a small North Korea and the heavily armed US there's Washington's gross hypocrisy um, you know they you know they coin out they they attacking North Korea for possessing nuclear weapons despite the fact that the US was the first country to develop atomic atomic weapons and to keep a knotty on them. That began the nuclear arm race. Um, the U.S. is still the only country to have unleashed nuclear weapons against civilians, um, you know, in the case of Hiroshima and Um And, you know, the purpose of these bombings had nothing to do with Japan, which had already been defeated, but to demonstrate to others that the U.S. was willing to use such weapons despite the human cost. And, of course, the U.S. Um, has never renounced... Um, you know the use of nuclear first use of nuclear weapons, and it's opposed to any hostile treaty to abolish um, such weapons. So that's a um, conclusion. Okay. All right. So, um, so we're um, we're getting ready for our first interview uh, on the program. Good morning.
1: Morning, Mike. Good morning. Um, thank you for being available. Um 3 cr and uh, um, I just need to introduce you to, to listeners. Uh, for listeners, this is Mike Trim, um from Auckland, New Zealand, and we thought we'll do a um, roundup of the, um, the New Zealand elections that took place last weekend. And obviously, they've got a hung parliament. So Mike, Mike is um, the director of Unite, which is a, a bi- large union in New Zealand, has had some major victories. But Mike is also a long-time political Activists.
3: Um, So, Mike, what is going on in New Zealand since the hung parliament came about? Uh, Well, there's uh, no one party got a majority. Got a proportional representation system, so it's hard for any single party to get a uh, a uh, majority vote. The Tory party, the National Party. Uh, got what got the largest vote, around forty six percent, but uh, not enough to form a government, and and they don't have any uh, close uh, support parties like they had after the previous election. They had a uh, that were able to collaborate with them to form a government, and uh, they are um, encouraging uh, the New Zealand First Party, which. Uh, about six percent of the vote uh, to try and form a coalition with them. John so first is playing coy, um, and uh, and as it, and is in discussions with the Labor Party, which had a uh, sudden resurgence over the last six weeks under a new younger leader, um, and went from 25 percent in the poll to about 36 percent in the poll. Uh, in, in six weeks, uh, but uh, in this case, it wasn't due to the policy, like happened in the UK election, because the policy didn't really change. But it was a generation change, uh, and uh, and a and sort of a, a, sort of an, an attractive team of young leaders uh, became the leaders of the Labour Party, and I think people invested that generation change with a. A hope, or a um, you know, that it would represent um, uh, a, a more of a change in terms of the uh, policy and direction of the party. That's yet to be seen. But uh, um, 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 in fact, that one of the problems was that uh, they, that Labour re- remains uh, committed in its uh, policy to a. To a not to a very moderate series of reforms and a commitment to a sort of fiscal responsibility regime with, um, you know, and promises of no new taxes even on the very rich. So uh, it limited what they could promise. Mm. Uh, but anyway, they still went up in the polls, and they and they'd be able to form a government if New Zealand First uh, went into coalition and the Greens went into coalition. So that's a trickier one. At the moment, that would only be a one-seat majority. After the specials are counted, it's expected it might be another couple of seats, but New Zealand First really holds the cards in deciding
1: who the government's going to be. Mm. So I I just want to explore this uh, new Labour leadership a little bit because around the world, um, there's some press um, uh, comparing her to um, Jeremy Corbyn in Britain and Macron in in France and Sanders in the US. Is there that much of a similarity? Or as you said, there's no real change in the Labour Party policy in 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 Uh, New Zealand?
2: uh, Although just to make clear,
3: well they're very sort of different, sort of quite a little bit different things yeah the um 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 in a sense a little bit more like macron you know like a young attractive leader and people invest that thing uh, with the change that they want or hope for um rather than it being reflective of policy with the us and uk we had old <laughs> quite old white <laughs> men who were yes. um who were, uh, who were who were who who made a uh, who who were, were invested with the hope of change because of the policies they were putting forward. That was not true in France. That was not true. I think in uh, or in Canada, for example, under this Trudeau, a bit more like that. That people were investing these new younger leaders with a. With, a, with their hopes, rather than uh, rather than being based on a on a policy change, um, the uh, uh, New Zealand Labour Party uh, has a uh, uh, um, um, has a uh, you know has been in government quite a lot of the time, um, and uh, over the except for the last nine years, they were they were in government for nine years before that. It wasn't a particularly you know there were no particularly dramatic changes at that time, and in fact there hadn't actually been that many dramatic changes under the National Party government. They're both in relative regimes, um, uh, rather than the sort of the extremes that we had in the eighties and early nineties. And so, uh, and so the so the it's not clear what the difference in you know it's not clear to many people what the uh, that there's a substantial difference in policy between them, um, but. Uh, people are aware that uh, incomes are being squeezed. They are aware um, that housing sort of costs are going out of reach for most people They, uh, they know student debt sort of increasing and they will want things to be done, but they 're uh, not sure who 's going to be able to do what needs to be done and to fix it for most for the majority of working people i think
2: hmm. Jacob, wants to say something yeah, I just guess I want to have a question. Um, a question is um, basically i 'm going sort of um, sh- shifting the focus away from you know a bit on the elections and what is these um, what is the implication of this um, of the election result you know for you know the social movements and the struggles on the ground in New Zealand especially in terms of building a uh, left alternative. Um,
3: there's uh, there's been a, a you have to say there's been a relative demobilisation over the over. Uh, recent years, I think, uh, in terms of uh, on-street activism from either from the union movement or from um, uh, uh, Unite Union. Uh, We had a a big win in 2015 when we had a campaign against zero-hour contracts. It was extraordinarily successful in terms of bringing back the fast food companies, first of all, and getting uh, getting new contracts that, uh, that got guaranteed hours in the fast food industry. And then the national government felt obliged to pass a law to outlaw zero-hour contracts in this country, and it was passed unanimously by the New Zealand Parliament. So uh, we just got so much public support and sympathy because we were exposing a scab that had been growing in the uh, the labour market um, uh, over... Recent years, and I think everybody could sort of uh, everybody had somebody in their family who was in that situation. So we named the unnamed. We the zero hour con- uh, zero hour contract idea hadn't actually uh, been a, in popular discourse until we sort of campaigned on it in 2015. So we, so we, you know, have been able to achieve some wins, but it's a, it's been a bit exceptional. You know, hadn't been a lot of big union campaigns or workers taking action. Similarly. No big climate mobilisation for recent years, or uh, other uh, social movements. So, so yeah. So, what will happen in terms of? Uh, but it's also been true that the uh, that the national government has not been has not been one of the sort of extremely neoliberal ones, right? So, when the two thousand eight uh, crisis hit uh, worldwide, they shifted to deficit financing and large. Budget, def- large 10% of GDP budget deficits for a few years to get through that and the Christchurch rebuild. So, in a sense, you know they had they they had almost a Keynesian response to it, even though overall they've, they've had a very tight sort of tight budgetary regime, and they and they've shifted towards. Um, um, you know, rapid. Uh, you know, back to the rapid repayment of debt and uh, and tax cuts for the wealthy as as part of their promises for the uh, next uh, for the next term. But you know, they maintained the minimum wage at around the level that the Labor government brought it to, around 50% of the um, average wage. Uh, they had increases every year, whereas the National Government from 1990 to 1999, the previous National Government, in that nine years only increase the in minimum wage once in night and allowed its values to go from about 50% of average wage to 30% of average wage. So this, is, this has been a more moderate, uh, if you like, um, uh, more uh, centrist sort of government. So people uh, are uh, – as part of the reason that uh, I think it even still you know, has received the votes of, of – Many working people, especially the ones who have got sort of investments in property, you know, who, um, who are a bit more attached to the system. So, um, um, and the opposition to this, so, so, that, so, that, so, it hasn't been a radical. It's not a radical. It's a centrist to it. has been centrist as well, which is why the Labor Party languished at twenty-five percent. I think you know they went out of office, dropped in the polls, and were stuck there at around twenty-five percent. So people's lives were. You know, real incomes aren't going up. Property prices are getting out of control. Um, you know, people are not feeling uh, good, but they never... They, they didn't have an alternative, I think, that they were confident that we were going to be able to achieve any real change. So, um, um, now, a majority of people have voted out, voted against this government. The New Zealand First Party, you know, counts itself as a centrist party, but it it was attacking the uh, government. Um, uh, from the left, you know most of its policies that it put forward were, um, except for issues around uh, race or immigration, <laughs> most of the policies were socially progressive. They wanted a higher, significantly higher minimum wage. They, in real terms, they wanted uh, renationalization of industries that had been privatised. They wanted um, to defend the welfare state. You know they were opposed to the free trade agreements and so on. So. So, for most of the policy New on Fifth Port Forward, it was uh, they, it was in, uh, generally uh, uh, on the left. So, uh, it it makes more sense for them to form a government with Labor and the Greens. Um, but they, you know, they've gone either way in the past. So they went with they went with uh, when New Zealand first had the chance to be the kingmaker, they chose National in '96, and then they chose Labor, I think, 2000 and. Uh, eight it was so, or two thousand five. Um, so, you know, um, they could go either way. They're not to be trusted in that regard.
1: Mm. I, I'm just curious about this New Zealand First party because that is more—it's a history of that coming out of a race-based um, electoral seat um, in, in New Zealand from a very long time ago. It was. Initially, the uh, aspiration to to avoid the the struggle for autonomy, but is, is there such an expression of the Maori people um, within the electoral system as such, or are they sort of all over the place voting for different people at, at different times? How 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 is that race uh, uh, card being played? Uh, New Zealand also has a uh, <coughs> a, 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 a
3: seven seats seven. Electoral seats that are dedicated for Maldivian voters, so so they, so so the Maldivian voters they, is is something that has swung uh, dramatic because Maldives you know very often uh, you know there's uh, significant racism reflected in high imprisonment rates. Uh, uh and uh, and education failure rates pushed you know, push out of the education system and higher unemployment rates. so they, so so economic and socially Maldives have been a deprived people so they've also been in politically in, at different times and tried to form political alternatives uh to the labor party at at different times and uh and the uh, um and and um uh, uh, uh and the under the Labor government, the last Labor government in 2000, this is when there was a gigantic mobilization, was when Māori people um, fought against the uh, Labor government's uh, a, a sort of uh, de facto expropriation of any indigenous property rights in the foreshore and seabed. And tens of thousands of Māori mobilized and formed a party dedicated to the defense of Māori interests. Um, and that party won, uh, uh, I think, four of the seven seats. That party then split between its left and right, and uh, and um, and and the uh, and the left of it was pushed out of parliament uh, with the loss of, of uh, which formed the Mana movement with some other left wing allies. But mm. it was lost its seat in parliament. And now, and then the right of that party went into coalition with the national party over the last couple of decades there 's also been a growth of a of a Maori middle class and capitalist class which has been deliberately fostered so there 's been over the last decades, both national and labour governments have done settlements with Maori involving you know sort of some hundreds of millions of dollars for 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 different tribal entities but part of the condition is that the tribal entity, if it's received the comp- compensation, sets itself up a business sort of arm. So it's a corporatisation of the sort of tribal structures to a degree, and a, or at least a corporate arm is being established. And it's that corporate arm that was sort of very strongly linked to the Maori Party leadership, which was linked to the National Party. Now, that party lost all its seats. So Labour retook all seven seats. The Labour Party retook all seven seats this election, um, and uh, and that and 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 Mana, the left wing party, wasn't able to regain its seat, which is hoped for a lot of the country. So, so both Mana and the Maori Party have been eliminated from uh, no longer in parliament at all. Uh, the Labor has retaken all of the Maori seats and overwhelmingly, Maori people uh, returned to voting for Labor um, in this election. Now, um. Um, so the attempts to create an independent left-wing voice for Māori has, has been thwarted or captured by uh, sort of pro-capitalist interests. Um, and, uh, and, uh, but I think that that is likely to be where new independent left sort of, uh, uh, movement and struggle is liable to begin first, because Māori have always been among the first to respond politically and with social movements to attacks on their interests, which are likely to happen at any time. Mm
1: Mm. So it's quite a complex story with the um, the race Yes, run. it is a complex
3: story. <laughs> <laughs> a very complex story.
1: Yeah, because the the, the Maori uh, you know uh, situation uh, complicates issues unless either one of the parties have a clear victory. So until that uh, subsides, we'll have, we'll continue to have a hung parliament in New Zealand. So when do they hope to resolve this? Any any idea of when the negotiations will start? Or? Or have they started? Uh, and, uh, they've,
3: they've sort of. Uh, uh, the, the special votes won't be counted until um, another week, I think, a bit, no, a bit over a week. Um, and that will determine the final um, makeup of Parliament. It's expected because that's what's happened for the last few elections is that the specials will favour the left. So in the last few elections, Labor and the Greens both went up on the basis of the special votes. Mm. If that happens, then it means that the uh, Labor-Green potential New Zealand First Coalition would have 63 seats in a 120-seat parliament, Mm. whereas at the moment, if they don't get the increase to... it's a It's a bare majority of 61, even with New Zealand First. Yep. That uh, might mean that New Zealand First is less likely to form a coalition of Labour and the Greens or an excuse to not form a coalition of Labour and the Greens. So, so they have said they're going to wait until special votes are counted. If it does result in an increase in two seats for Labour and the Greens, makes it more likely, in my view, that New Zealand First will opt in the direction of forming government with them rather than with National, although with Winston Peters, the New Zealand First leader, there's no, no there's no real way of knowing which way he's going to jump.
1: Yeah, yes. And he's a very conservative politician, isn't he? Or right-wing, rather.
3: Yeah, well, he sees that they, he, they present themselves as a anti-establishment sort of... Uh, and pro, uh, you know, pro state or pro social welfare or pro um, employment and pro higher things. But then they also run the, the race card thing against, even though you, even though Winston Peters is a Maori uh, uh, himself, he, he, he sort of says Maori shouldn't get any special privileges, oh. uh, and and immigrants shouldn't get any, you know, immig- and we should reduce immigration. So he plays those cards to appeal to a sort of a bigoted vote, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, uh, and 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 uh, and, but it, it, it tends to be more demagogic than in reality. You know, I mean, because he he said prior to the election that he would, he, well, he was going to make it a condition on forming the new government that there was a referendum on the for the abolition of the seat. Now that would usually provoke a Mori uh uh yes. huge proportion. Yep. Uh, however, so he's immediately after the election he says, Oh no, we don't need that referendum anymore because the Māori... and he, he, and he uses this as an excuse that the Maori Party lost all its seats in Parliament and so because there's no longer a racist party, as he called it in Parliament, that we don't need a referendum to Boris Māori seats. Uh-huh. So so he can he plays you know, he, he appeals to the bigotry of those who want to who who sort of who, who mistakenly think that Maori have got some privileges and then immediately abandons it when when he's faced with
1: the prospect of forming a know. Yeah, so that's an interesting um, angle to look out for. But thank you so much, uh, Mike, (laughs) for uh, offering your time to 3CR. Pleasure talking to you. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye. And um, that was the green...
2: Sorry about that. Um, just some Can you play an ID? Uh, technical issues, it was you
0: You are listening to Green Left Radio on the Friday Morning Breakfast Show, broadcast live on 3CR Radio 855 AM digital and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper, providing a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment before profit. Subscribe to Green Left Weekly by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues.
1: Okay, welcome back to 3CR listeners. That was Mike Train, who's the uh, National Director of the um, National Union um, f- sorry i turned on the wrong mic there apologies um he's uh, director of the national union Call unite and that union covers um uh, entertainment industry uh workers fast food workers and so on and has won some victories and Mike is a long-term political activist, well-known to many of the left in Australia. So that was a bit of a round-up on the New Zealand elections, a bit more detail about what's happening there. So, Jacob, you want to say something?
2: Yeah, so um, just a bit of a um, kind of a recent news kind of update. um, Could might be in the headlines although it should be um, but basically in response to um, moreland council's decision to you know abolish kind of Australian Day ser- celebrations or um, there are uh, a group of kind of like you know Patriots first sort of um, well Far right kind of neo Nazis actually invaded the Morland Council meeting on Wednesday night. You know, draping themselves in you know Australian flags and you know protesting how Moreland Council is is a bunch of commies. Um, so that that ha- that had happened, um, they um, you know basically raided the the council chambers. I mean, no one was hurt because they were kind of a bunch of buffoons, and so they'll. They basically screamed and then they got and then went and they were escorted out by they were escorted by the police, um, out of the council chambers. Um, but I think it's quite fascinating i think because um the murdoch presses you know have been kind of up in arms about you know about you know sue bolton and a lot of the other Moreland councillors who voted for this decision um you know caught uh, accusing them of treason and etc yet they seem to be strangely silent on neo outright neo-nazis um invading a Morland a council meeting uh and so it's this kind of hypocrisy, it's like, it's just, it's just quite funny. Um.
1: No, it's serious because that's the biased media showing itself very clearly because Sue Bolton has been on the front cover for, of the leader and a few other newspapers just because she compared the indigenous genocide to the Holocaust. And yet this, this particular incident wasn't covered. So it just shows how biased the, the media is, as we always say, and that's why we like 3CR and that's why we're here. Okay. Um, do you want to say anything else before we move on? No, to yeah, that's good. Okay, there's a number of interesting articles in this week's uh, Green Love Weekly, and one is about the um, media reforms, and that's an interesting one because um, there's uh, some, a, a lot of details in this um, uh, particular article, the... Um, 2012 Finkelstein inquiry on media regulation was damning of the corporate media it's profit driven bias and attack dog mentality uh, the article states and it also says that but it's Conclusion fell short of proposing ways to break up the user pay system. Now, five years later, the coalition government is pushing ahead with new laws to give the corporate media what it has been screaming for, less restrictions on ownership and coverage. So what's happening is the coalition government is is supported by Nick Xenophon. His team and Pauline Hansen, one nation, in slashing corporate license fees and eliminating the REACH rule, which prevented a single T V broadcaster from reaching seventy five percent of the population. So it's also scrapping two out of three rule which stops an individual or a company owning a newspaper, T V station and radio station. So Two out of three, that's, that's the um, license area they're trying to, um, sc- well, they are scrapping. This will allow New Corp to, News Corp to buy Channel 10 and Channel 9 to merge with Fairfax. It also lead to a series of mergers between city stations and regional regional affiliates. So if you want more information on that particular um, article or issue, um, you can look up Greenleaf Weekly online. Um, and you can read more or more details about that. So one of the news that really um, bothered me was about the CFMU and the protests they had in Sydney. Um, there was a um, this rising pressure on the Federal Employment Minister, uh, Michaelia Cash, to resign from her cover-up of the illegal actions by former Australian Building or uh, ABCC head Nigel um hedge kiss merely underlines the fact that Australia's industrial relations system is badly broken. Um, a further sign uh, of the need to change uh, was um, revealing that workers have faced an effective wage freeze over the past decade. The Sydney Morning Herald reported um, just a few days ago, the Australian household incomes have grown by less than the price of a coffee, that is $3 a year, since 2008. In fact, haven't had a wage rise for the last three or four decades, according to the ABS. Um, and Reserve Bank has warned workers to expect low-wage growth for some time yet. And yet we have got enormous rise in property and food and everything else around us that we have to pay for, and utilities, especially electricity. So the damning picture stands as the new parliamentary report released on the 7th of September, uh, it uh, It is called the Corporate Avoidance of Fair Work Act, paints a damning picture of the federal government, which has slashed penalty rates for some Australia's lowest paid workers. It has created a disastrous internship scheme for young people that pays $4 an hour, publicly argued against a new leave and entitlement for people experiencing family and domestic violence, cheered on as employers tear up collective arrangements and make jobs insecure to cut workers' pay pay and conditions, and brought on a a raft of anti-union legislation in an attempt to open workers up to even more um, exploitation. So the report found that action is needed to fix collective bargaining stop wage theft, regulate the use of labour hire and end sham contracting, stop the exploitation of temporary visa workers and ensure that workers have access to accurate pay records and workable systems that gives them recourse against employers who do the wrong thing. So Sally McManus, um, Secretary of the ACTU, has said that, this is a savage indictment of the Malcolm Turnbull government and Minister Michaela Cash, who has done nothing to address systemic avoidance of the law by corporations. So and goes on. So there is more depressing news like that coming through. So Jacob, any of Anything else? Um, got a think, whole lot here.
2: Uh, I'm just going probably pay quick now, since so I can get a news article ready. Um,
1: That's okay. I'll go on to another one because um, we have got the. Um, some international news. It was just interesting. A couple of couple from Latin uh, America. We have. Um, this, I find this really fascinating because the role Australia plays in harboring um, fugitives from a variety of very reactionary right-wing governments, particularly murder murderers as such, is um, well known. And I know in South Africa uh, when the. Um, Apartheid government was brought down. A lot of um, racist white South Africans were um, welcomed to Australia. Um, and, And one such thing has happened here. Adriana Rivers is a former National Intelligence Director from... Um, Chile, and she was Chile's intelligence bureau in the in the intelligence bureau during General Augusto Pinochet's dictatorship, and is known as Pinochet's Gestapo due to or Gestapo due to its cruelty and mass assassinations. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Rivera was an operative agent in the brigade between seventy four and seventy seven the Lautaro Brigade concentrated on detaining, torturing, extracting information, and killing Communist Party members. In 2013, Rivers openly boasted on SBS radio about the use of torture against Chilean dissidents. She said, Everyone knew they had to do that to people in order to break them because communists would not talk. It was necessary, the same as the Nazis did, do you understand? And that's her statement, clause Court. Pursuant to a bilateral treaty between Australia and Chile meant to facilitate extradition, Chile requested in 2014 that Australia extradite Rivers to prosecute her for charges of aggravated kidnapping which resulted in the assassination and disappearance of seven Chilean citizens. Rivers was arrested in Chile in 2007 and criminal proceedings against her commenced in 2009. She then absconded Australia in a carefully orchestrated plot. So she is the co-author of The Aggravated Kidnapping of Victor Dias, Fernando Navarro, Lincoln um, Berrios, and, and many others. And um, in 1976, they were kidnapped savagely tortured, later killed, and their bodies made to disappear by the Latoura Brigade. The victims were the members of the Communist Party of Chile, trade union leaders, primary school teachers, public servants, and regular Chilean citizens. So she's rather a horrible person, to say the least. Mm. Okay. So the testimony, sorry, let me just finish this one. The testimonies of Rivers co-accused confirmed that all operative agents of the brigade, without exception, both men and women had the same function at the extermination b- barracks. So this, actually, this statement um, is reprinted from the National Campaign for Truth and Justice in Chile. It's asking supporters to write to the Minister for Justice, Michael Keenan, uh, MP, to request that he urgently extradite rivers. Letters can be sent to ICCCA at gov. AU minister, or the the email can also be sent to minister at ag.gov.au, or extradition.unit at ag.gov.au. So people who are interested can send emails protesting um, <clears throat> what the Australian government's doing in in harbouring such wicked fugitives. Really. So, Jacob, you were going to say something.
2: Yeah. Okay, so just a bit of update. Um, um, this is from the latest Green Left Weekly, and uh, this is um, being uh, something I've been, we've been covering on our show. Um, basically, um, on, in relation to kind of the campaign that workers at the NTEU um, staff have been... Um, um, kind of running against, um, against the management of University of Sydney. Um, so basically, Sydney, um, university staff wrote to accept an agreement from, um, management. Um, more than 450 University of Sydney staff members belonging to the ANTEU attended a mass meeting on September 21st that wrote to accept a agreement offer from management rather than to continue strike action. Um, the negotiations had taken place in the context of University Vice Chancellor Michael Spence. Um, re-owned for his high pay, which is now at 1.4 million, moving forward with a strategic plan amalgamation program. The first casualty to plan w- was Sydney College of Arts, which had had its funding gutted. Um, management has since attempted to sack science, administration, casual staff, and administration building, um, and staff in the IT department. Whilst crying poor, um, the NTU has recently spent 2.3 billion on free buildings, given upper management to pay. Um, So, um, however, the NTU, in response to all this, um, took, you know, has taken strike actions, Um, and of course, the four four main issues, and then um, around these four key demands during negotiations in July and September, um, the four main issues raised by the Union were no-force redundancies, um no with guaranteed redeployment to other departments a better deal for casuals including sick leave and equal superannuation opposition to the creation of teaching only full-time positions and effective pay rise uh, members had also voted for a two-day strike which was set to take place on october the 4th to 5th before the latest offer was presented to the mass meeting um and of course uh i remember on the, um, following the second strike action on September 30th, um, the management made the union a new offer, which received the support of NTU Sydney University branch president, um, and vice presidents. However, the NTU branch committee was divided, emerging me can, um, was divided at the emergency meeting convened to discuss the offer with 6 members supporting it and 8 opposed the division was expressed at the mass meeting, members meeting on September 20 uh, Iverson and voted in argued in favor of accepting the agreement at the meeting saying that since bargaining began um, in March we achieved so much uh, among the benefits of the new deal were that casuals would receive new payments at the beginning of their contract, um, and if sick would get paid for preparation time. About one third of staff are casual, and fifty percent of teaching is conducted by casuals. Um, the Ison said that the new offer also secures new months or nine months of redeployment through a part of the um, throughout the university as part of avoiding uh, the proposed sackings. Um, however. He notes that, um, that the pay offer remained unchained. Cahill and Johnson argued that if the offer was directed, management would withdraw its current proposal and put forward an inferior one in its place. Um, so, um, and Branch Committee member David um, Ruffey put the motion to reject management's agreement. A statement put out by those opposed to the offer said, this offer doesn't meet any of the goals we set. On forced redundancies, the statement said, management can and should redeploy staff when their positions are made redundant. Um, okay. Can you round so, up then? Yeah. So, in kind of, I guess, in summary, um, the while the Sydney University staff voted to a, the agreement, there was a lot of disagreements um, within the union. Um, in fact, um, some of the more left-wing, kind of, um, more militant, kind of activists in the NTU have, you know, you know, kind of think it's a, it's a pretty shitty deal that they accepted. Um, and but and. And if and um, arguably, you know, the NTU could have pushed for further action to, you know, to get actually a better deal than what they've um, what they've actually currently accepted. Um, but you know, it's um, but you know, everyone. Um, but then, um, as but then, uh, the article kind of ends here. But you know, despite you know the problems with this deal, um, everyone who works at Sydney University should still join the NTU and help us make it's in our workplace better
1: okay um i think we should move on to the calendar L- let me just pay play player announcement before we do that yeah hello listen
2: i had a great idea male chauvinist pig versus hairy like feminist you're still a feminist right
3: i'm a tennis player who happens to be a woman
4: the battle you've all been waiting to see the battle of the sexes
5: you want to see it right then get along and support 3CR at the Palace with gas Cinemas, 89 High Street, Northcote, on Thursday, October 5th from 6.30pm for a screening of Battle of the Sexes. You're offering the men's winner eight times what you're offering the women's winner. The men are simply more exciting to watch. It's just biology.
0: The story of the infamous tennis match between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs.
5: Tickets are $25 and $20 concession. You can purchase online at 3cr.org.au direct from the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, or by phoning 9419 8377 during business hours.
2: All funds
0: raised go to Keeping 3CR on air. Battle of the Sexes screening, Thursday, October the
3: 5th from 6.30pm. Does she have the nerve? Call Barbie. Time's on.
0: name Cooler Shelvin and I am fighting for my life.
5: Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to have to flee your own country to spend days or weeks in a leaky boat on dangerous rolling seas and then arrive in a new country where you are terrorized even more? Well, that's the life confronting millions of people in this world who have no choice but to seek asylum. All these people want is a fair go, but here in Australia, our government in our name treats these desperate people with cruelty and inhumanity. Here at 3CR, we aim to give these people a voice, a chance to speak out, and let you know that they are just like us, people with hopes and aspirations, people who deserve to be treated as we would expect to be treated if we found ourselves in this position. Refugee Radio is the voice of refugees. 10am every Sunday at 3CR 855 on the AM dial.
0: say I'm not a worthless human being Cause no one needs a worthless human being My family need a
1: Welcome back to Green Left Weekly on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. And if you're enjoying the program now from your bed or wherever you are, please think about donating. Um, We still haven't reached our Radiothon target yet. So I'll be grateful if people dig in deep to donate to Green Left Weekly radio program at 3CR. You can ring the station on uh, 94198377 to make the donation. And do mention it is towards the Green Left Weekly radio, <coughs> sorry, on, on Friday. So we, we move on to announcements. We'll do the announcements for the next two weeks. be running a little short of time. So I'll start off by announcing there's a, um, <coughs> excuse me, there's Actually, something on today. Um, the couple of um, three events on today. One is the it's a comedy, The World According to Mrs. Barb Wire. It's a uh, uh, old woman in her nat- nat- in native environment in a lounge, sitting and chatting about her life, her songs, and it's it is obviously a comedy. And it's on at um, the Victoria Hotel at 308 Brunswick. Uh, s- no, 300. 300- 8, Victoria Hotel, Brunswick, 8 p.m., and tickets are 25 and 15. Second, there's a rally um, today, isn't there? It's a yes, Morland says, yes to equality. We are making human, yes, sign to show support for the LBG, LBG, LBTIQ. I'm getting so confused, all these alphabets are being added. L G B T I Q eight. neighbors, friends, and, and family in Moreland. And it'll be a fun, family-friendly event for, um, with food. So 2 p.m., Clifton Park, Victoria Street, Brunswick. The third event on today is the Theatre Displace, and it's a MOBS collective of emerging Indigenous artists in collaboration with local organisations and community. Um, Travelling between locations. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Right there. Yeah. Along Gertrude Street, the event will engage the community, critiquing the ongoing gentrification of Fitzroy, and allowing the movement of um, black bodies to find its place. So that's at forty-three Gertrude Street, Fitzroy. So Sunday, first of October. Do you want to do that? Um, Jacob.
2: Oh, yeah. So there'll be um, there's going to be a rainbow march um, at one pm at the state library in support of marriage equality. So this is the next big kind of mass. Hang on, when is that? Oh, yeah, yeah, this October the um October the first on Sunday. Okay, sorry. Yeah, so this Sunday on October the first, um, there'll be um a, a big march for marriage equality. Okay.
1: And there's also um, another comedy. This is Sean Bedler, who is a supporter of the left and 3CR and is um, doing a show, Death to America. It finishes the 1st of October. Um, Dreams can come true in um, 2017. The USA has lost its mind. The world looks on as the American dream becomes a nightmare. So that sounds like fun. So those who wish to go, um, it is at the Courthouse Hotel, the Dock corner of Errol and Queensbury streets in North Melbourne. Warning, it um, does have coarse language and adult themes. Okay, uh, we've jumped ahead there. There's a, um, a barbecue this Saturday, that's tomorrow. Uh, Green Left fundraiser, it's the AFL Grand Final Barbecue. Relax with the Green Left crew. Um, it's at 81 Rathmine Street, Fairfield. It's five minutes' walk from the station, Fairfield Station. So please call Sue on 413 978 or Jacob on 458 or just turn up 81 Rathmine Street and enjoy the evening with us. And there is a um, public meeting changing the game on the 4th of October, which is next Wednesday. Join Steve Convery, Clem Ford, Lena Van Deventer and Ray Johnson to talk survival strategies for being a woman with an opinion on the internet. The online world has a dark underbelly where trolling, racism, verbal... um, uh, Sorry, and um, verbal... Um, abuse, sexual harassment, boxing, doxing, and misogyny are rife. Uh, in this provocative and proactive panel discussion, we um, explore the current landscape of social interactions, and it is on at the Acme Fed Square, 7 p.m. And the last announcement is about the Syria conflict. There's a forum. Why should we, the left support, um... Who should we support? A panel of speakers from 7pm, um, New International Bookshop Trades Hall, uh, 54 Victoria Street, Carlton. And one last announcement, it's uh, rock for, Rocking for West Papua. Uh, this is on Friday, 6th of October, the Central, at the Central Club Hotel. 293 Swan Street at Richmond. I'm going to play an announcement and we'll go on to the next interview.
3: Like in Canada and in Australia, they cannot discharge tailings directly into the riverways. But in Pogara, they discharge their tailings in the waterways and they kill us and they say, it's okay, you are just being killed for trespassing.
0: Subscribe to 3CR, bringing you voices and opinions the mainstream media don't dare touch.
3: They have the exclusive right to extract the mineral below six feet, but that exclusive right does not permit them also to kill people.
0: Who does the killing?
3: The company has uh, specially arranged security forces.
0: Subscribe today. Call 9419
1: 8377. If you have just tuned in, you're listening to 3CR. 855 on your AM dial, and this is Green Left Weekly Radio and Friday Breakfast. We have online Alex Bainbridge uh, from Brisbane to talk about the Adani blockades. So here we go. Good morning, Alex. Uh, good morning, Lali. Good to be here. Uh, how are you? <laughs> I'm very well, thanks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, let's um, start. Jacob. Yeah, I guess
2: we'll start um, because just to give a bit of background, um, Alex Bainbridge um, was just recently part of um, attending um, a frontline action to stop Adani from, I think it was, in in Bowen, Queensland, from September um, 16th to the 23rd um, to, you know, basically take their fight to the frontline of this critical battle. Um, And so I guess we'll... um, Alex um, travelled to Bowen to, you know, to provide daily updates and photos of um, the events that happened at this protest camp. And I guess um, starting off, um, Alex will get to, you know, to tell us about what, were, what was this um, protest like and I guess what was kind of the reason why um, it was situated within this particular part of Queensland. Is that where they're building the mine? Well,
4: firstly, I must say it was a very inspiring protest. Um, a very inspiring event. Like it was actually a whole series of events, a whole week of, um, of different actions. And um, it's it's uh, it's the reason it happened now is because Adani is threatening to start building their mine next October. And I think your probably your listeners are possibly aware that Adani has been threatening to build this mine for years and years now, and it's been held back and delayed, and that's in large part because there's been you know, quite a considerable amount of public opposition, including legal challenges and protest actions and and so forth, and still there are challenges that they've got. They don't have finance properly for the mine, and so forth. But they are threatening to start construction next next month. And so this was a this was an action that was designed to say we are going to take um, you know nonviolent direct action, civil disobedience to actually stop this environmental disaster and this, um, this mine, which is you know, running roughshod over the rights of local Aboriginal people. And, the, the yeah, where we were camped just outside of Bowen. Uh, that's very close to where the Abbott Point terminal is, um, or the Abbott Point port, sorry. And they want to build a new um, coal terminal at that port um, in order to, um, you know, help export the, the coal that'll come from the Adani mine. So that's that's the reason why the, the,
2: the action was located where it was. Mm. Um, can you tell us a bit more about kind of like... Um you know who was involved in this protest and what were the kind of links that were made between um the local indigenous community and um the local community who kind of, who I presume live obviously in neighboring towns around this particular around where the protest camp was being held
4: um well i mean the yeah there's over 100 people um at this at this week of action um and and it was a fairly um diverse group there were sort of young and old and there were people from all around the country, including people from New Zealand, um, you know, certainly the East Coast was very well represented, Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland. Um, and yeah, there were, there were lots of people that came together, so, you know, concerned about the climate, um, concerned about indigenous rights, um, just concerned about the waste of money, like the billion dollars that the government's proposing to spend um, to build the rail line, um... So, I mean, there's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of reasons to be concerned and there are a whole lot of people that came to sort of express those concerns. And, um, we were honoured to be, um, welcomed so meaningfully by the, by some of the local Aboriginal elders, um, especially Auntie Carol Pryor from the, from the jury mob. Um, you know, and there were, there were a number of local activists, um, from the towns nearby. Um, who attended the action as well, um, including from Bowen itself. Uh, although, I mean, it must be said there was a, um, uh, a certain amount of controversy among a lot of Bowen locals. I mean, like, there are a lot of people who are from Bowen basically feeling like, you know, um, uh, they want to get the jobs that are you going know, come from the Sadani mine. But there were a number of times when we had, you know, um, different interactions and, and uh, I mean, I think basically um, they, were, they you know, in many times they were positive. They, the outcome was that people could actually, yeah, I can see where you're coming from, and yes, actually, local farmers, yeah, the water, you know, the fact that a mine has been given this sort of unlimited water, um, you know, right to extract as much water as they want, that is going to have a an impact on local agriculture. So there's, it's, like, you know, yeah, this interesting. It, to... it, 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 it's a learning experience, I guess, for some of the people here, but. Um but it was a but it was a positive action to be part of
1: mm, sounds interesting but the, the i think it seems like the coming together of so many people from such diverse backgrounds is a very um, important one to look at because you have the farmers, the Aboriginal community, um, and rural activists, and I'm sure there are lots of people of different walks of life who joined you. Um, how, how did that feel? It, it's not very often that farmers and Aboriginal people have a lot in common, and this is obviously one occasion, um, and more and more such occasions are actually developing to unite such a diverse population to oppose uh, such a disastrous um, uh, plan that's supported by powerful figures. So how did, how did that, you know, how did it feel and how, what, what did people discuss? I mean, did, did it talk about um, the powerful um, enemies they're facing, really? I mean, would have would been not very exciting, even though the, the, you were in an exciting um, environment while you were there? The battle is a, is a massive one.
4: Yeah, the battle is a massive one, but as I said, this was a very inspiring event, and in my opinion is that this mine can be stopped. Um, I think that I mean, I've you know, all of this year and and previous, there's been quite a consistent um, roll series of rolling protests and um, you know, and actions. Like the big Road roadshow earlier this year was was huge um, in you know, all around the country. Um, there were rolling actions at the time when. Um, People were targeting the Westpac Bank, who they, people thought were going to finance the, um, the mine, but Westpac backed down. They said, no, they're not going to. Then there was targeting protests at the Commonwealth Bank, and they were happening all over the place, little neighbourhoods, like all over the country. There were people standing up and saying, that no, they're not going to accept this mine. And then we've had other protests since then. We've got protests against the, um, the, the threat to um, use a billion dollars worth of public money uh, to, to build the rail line. There's the... There's a, direct action against Downer, which is the company which is um, contracted to build the mine itself. But it's lots of different aspects of, of this campaign and, uh, and and this latest week of frontline action that was that was very inspiring. And I think I mean I, I think there was a very clear understanding among the people who were there that we are here to say there is nothing that we will not do. You know, within the framework of, you know, positive nonviolent direct action and you know and community peaceful protests. But, you know, we will go all the way to stop this mine. We're not going to let the mine be built. And yet people are totally aware that there are powerful figures supporting the mine, but we're equally aware that powerful uh, corporations and powerful politicians can be defeated by by people power, you know, mass community protests.
1: Mm. Are there any more such um, protests planned, Alex, as far as you know, or anywhere else in the country?
4: Look, you can go to the Frontline Action on coal. Facebook page, and from there you'll be able to take the pledge to sort of join future actions. So this was an initial week of action. Um, so there's no, there's not, like, at the moment, a permanent um, camp, hmm. uh, you know, blockades that are set up. But, I mean, obviously, as I said, the construction hasn't even begun yet, and my expectation would be that there will be future um, actions of a similar variety, and and the best way is to sort of take that pledge on the frontline action on, on, on coal. Hmm. Uh, Facebook page, and then basically you can be signed up and be aware of future actions as they as they occur.
1: Hmm. It's interesting you say that. You know, the the there's not enough finance for this company to actually start up, um, and I guess that gives us a lot more opportunity to get active, to to stop it on its tracks uh, uh, as as quickly as possible. Um, so. That's great encouragement, Alex, and I'm glad this was uh, such a successful event. Jacob, do you want to ask anything else of Alex before we round up the interview?
2: Uh, no, I think that's uh, pretty much it. Um, well, I just want to make a quick announcement. Um, basically, um, for those who want to get involved in the Stop Adani campaign, there's actually going to be a National Day of Action coming up this Saturday. So this Saturday is actually considered the National Day of Action. Um, for in So in both Melbourne and Geelong, um, activists are going to come together to make a human sign um, that says Stop Adani. In the case of Melbourne, I... I don't have the exact time on me, um, but it's somewhere between. There's going to be a Stop Padani human sign being made at, um, at Prince's Park um, in Carlton, sort of near between, you know, that park that's sort of the, the border between Carlton and Brunswick. Um, so that will be happening, and then there'll be one in Geelong where they'll be making one at the Eastern Beach.
1: Anything else you wanted to add, Alex, before we um, wind up the interview?
4: I just think every community there are people that are are, are opposing this mine and I think it's really good if we all seek to find each other, get involved in the organisation, taking a stand on this and, and as I said, we can stop this mine.
1: Sounds very encouraging. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Lali. Have a good day. Bye. Bye -bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Um, any more announcements we have to make? There's one announcement I really want to emphasize, which we missed out on because we were trying to get onto the interview. Is uh, on the seventh of October, that is tomorrow week. There's a really important um, conference, Indigenous and Grassroots Movement Solidarity Gathering. It's bringing together speakers from Latin America, Australia, West Papua, New Zealand, and other communities and peoples to share their struggles setbacks and victories. And this is all about the indigenous revival really around the world. There's lots and lots of communities that are doing this. And this is another one event that is going to add to that massive upsurge of indigenous people starting to demand their rights more vigorously around the world. So that is happening on the 8th of October, 7th and 8th of October next weekend. Um, at Trades Hall, 54 Victoria Street, Carlton, is organised by the Latin American Solidarity Network called Lesnet. Um and as you said, the Stop Adani um, action is on on the seventh of October, uh, Jacob. Uh, yep. It's at the twelfth noon. The political, uh, the polit- it says the politicians elected to represent us are trying to ignore the huge movement of Australians who want to stop Adani. So that is at Stop Adani with a giant human sign. It's between 200 and 590 Royal Parade, Carlton. So all of you who want to be part of that human chain, making up this sign, which is Stop Adani, it's happening on Saturday, 7th of October, 200 to 590 Royal Parade, Carlton North. So that is the... uh, other announcement. So, did you want to add anything else?
2: No, that would, um, there's some articles we can. Um, I conclude the show with this one article um, that was written um, that's in the latest um, Green Left Weekly, um, basically on why marriage equality is union business, written by um, Lisbeth Latham. Um, basically, um, the arguments that Lisbeth, um, making, um, um, Lisbeth makes, because so, I can't really go into kind of all no, kind of details. Um, basically, you know, is, you know, um, support by unions for marriage equality is consistent with long traditions within the labour movement of solidarity with the oppressed and marginalised community and in support of democratic rights. Approaches that help to build and strengthen the capacity for um for of the union movements to win improvements for members, not just on the job, but throughout society. Um, and he also they also quote, um, you know. Uh, uh, a CFMU South, South Australian Branch Secretary, Aaron Carter, who says in the in address to the marriage equality rally, and I think this is a very kind of strong argument. Why does the CFMU back the yes vote? I'll tell you why. We back um the yes vote for 50 years. We've been campaigning because we're discriminated against on building sites, which are laws that target our members every day. Um, how can we? be calling for one law for all and then have a different view when it when it comes to this and of course um there's obviously this conservative view that Lisbeth um mentions um in their article um you know you know that says that you know unions should only just take up you know workers' issues and nothing and uh, nothing else, but of course um, this conservative vision of unions unionism runs counter to the long tradition within Australian unions, practically within left unions such as CFMU, which sees the union movement as having a vital role to play in building a better world for all. And of course, you know, this vision has seen, you know, Australian unions actively campaign around issues affecting people globally. Um, and of course, these campaigns, a lot of these campaigns of international solidarity did not lead directly to improve wages and con- conditions on the job, but they contributed to the mobilising capacity of unions both on and off the job and helped to build broader respect within the broader community for the central roles that unions Play in building a socially just and livable planet. And of course, Elizabeth concludes uh, at the end for all these reasons, marriage equality is union business.
1: Yes, it's also the mental well being of so many people who've been oppressed for so many centuries, really. I just want to make two quick announcements, which are quite important ones. One is a concert um, by Les Thomas, who's an advocate for refugee rights, and he is a Koori man, um, and Frank Jones. They are playing at the Kingsbury Bowls, 7 p.m., do support um, this event because he has been uh, such an active advocate for the defence of the oppressed. So that is um, the Kingsbury Bowls, 7 p.m., Arch Gibson Reserve, Dunn Street, or Dune Street, Kingsbury. And there are two events on public housing. One on the 15th of October and another on the 18th of October. The one on the 15th is at um, Debney Park, Mount Alexander Road, Flemington, organised by, by the Public Housing Defence Network. And the one on Wednesday, the 18th of October, is at Parliament Steps, 2pm Spring Street, hosted by the Defend and Extend Public Housing Organization, so that are the they are the most um, prominent um, events coming up as far as we can tell. Um, so I hope you have enjoyed the program, and we want to thank Mike Green from New Zealand, who is the director of the Union Call Unite, and we want to thank Alex Bainbridge, who attended this Topadani um, campaign gathering up in uh, Queensland. Um, I hope uh, you will. Join us again next Friday. And, of course, to remind listeners that we will be podcasting our our programs and they're also available on the internet at any time. You just have to visit uh, 3CR on the internet. If you've missed any of the interviews we have um, broadcasted today. So next up, it's um, Beyond Zero. It's a pre-recorded program. And I will put it on in a minute after announcement. Is there anything else you want to add, um, Jacob, before we wind up?
2: No. Okay.
1: Thanks for listening and hope you will tune in again next week. So here we go. You're invited to the Indigenous and Grassroots Movement Solidarity Gathering on the 7th and 8th of October at the Victoria Trades Hall in Naam, Melbourne. Speakers from Latin America, so-called Australia, West Papua, Aotearoa and other communities will come together to share their struggles, setbacks and victories. In two days of speakers, workshops, stalls, music, food, discussion, building bridges and more. The 2017 Indigenous and Grassroots Movement Solidarity Gathering, October 7th and 8th at the Victoria Trades Hall. While colonialism, capitalism, and neoliberalism are global, so is the resistance. For more information, including donations and how to volunteer, email lasnet.solidarity at gmail.com or call 0425 539 149, a 3CR
5: supporter.